ready to worship the Lord this morning? his love has found you today amen you've been found by his love you're in his light amen isn't that the beauty of this season we get to celebrate that into the darkness his great light has shone 
And in the darkness of your life, in the darkness of your surroundings, I mean, you were lost, you were dead in sin. I mean, you were worthless. I know that's, that's really lifting you up, isn't it? But it's true that you were worthless. I mean, if you really knew who you were, you would know that you were worthless. You could offer nothing to God. There was nothing you had that could bring value to the Lord our Savior. But praise God, amen, that he knew that and he sent his son, not so that you could add value, but he could add value to you. And he could raise you up and lift you up. And not only that, but take you out of all that and lift you up. And we got somewhere we're going, don't we? There you go. Amen. Anybody got somewhere you're going? Come on, I got somewhere I'm going. I got a mansion waiting for me. Amen? Amen. There's rooms. There's lots of rooms. We're going to move in. We're going to take over. <laughs> and we're going to worship Jesus till, we're, till eternity. Amen? Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you that your great light has shone into our darkness. But it's even better than that, Lord Jesus. Your word tells us that that light does not diminish. It doesn't fade out. It doesn't need a battery recharge. I know a lot of our things we got for Christmas need batteries. There's no batteries. You are the light. You are the source. You are eternal. You are never ending, never fading, never diminishing, never slowing down, never stopping, never failing, always and forever. That's who you are. And so we celebrate our always and forever Savior this morning that it doesn't diminish, but it actually increases because you grow in us deeper and deeper and more and more each day. And so we celebrate you today, Lord Jesus. In the bleak midwinter, all creation grows for a world in darkness, frozen like a stone. That was my heart. is breaking in a stable for a throne.
This is a hymn we don't sing very much, but the words are so rich. Let's this be our prayer today. Come thou long expected Jesus.
That's our prayer today. Man, if that didn't speak to your heart this morning, then may you might want to pause right now and ask God to wake you up. Man, the story of this is not just a story. It's not just a day on a calendar. It's not just a holiday. This is the gift to mankind, all mankind, that he would come, lay down his, his privilege to lay down everything, to humble himself, to take on your sin, to take on your situation, to take on my shame, my ugly, and to replace it with his beauty so that we can once again wait for his return. Church, there were so many people that missed it the first time. I don't want to miss his return when he comes again. I want to be ready. I want my heart to be ready. I want my prayer to be ready. I want my song to be ready. I want everything in me to be ready for when he comes because he's coming again for a bride that's spotless, that's ready, that's waiting, that has its oil ready and its lamps lit. Church, I think some of us need to get lit. I ain't talking about no alcohol. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Then more. 
have a favorite part of Christmas, a favorite song, favorite tradition, favorite story. I think mine, if I had to pick, would be the phrase, Emmanuel. God with us. God with us before we were. God with us when we're done. God with us in my weakness. God with us in our strength, our successes, our failures, our shortcomings, our disillusionment, our bondage, our victories, our successes. God with us. And you know what that means for me today as I look back over this year, you know, yeah, they say, well, this year has been one for the ages. How many times have we said that? If you've lived long, it's about every other one, you know, this, this was the worst one, this, this one here. And I have found that my ever-present help was sufficient, was faithful, was loving, was kind, was consistent, never once lied, never once misled, never once broke his word. And he's near you today. You know, it's been said that Christmas is a magnifier. If you're blessed and happy and your house is full, then the joy is magnified. And if you're alone and don't have family or they're away, the loneliness is magnified. If you're uh, hurting physically, that's magnified. I want to tell you something else that's magnified at Christmas. His nearness. I have been on both sides. I've had my house full and the music playing in the background and the laughter of children. And I have sat in my house by myself wondering if I had the strength to make it to New Year's. So what do you say to those things? Emmanuel. God with us and shall be with you. And then when he comes back for you, he gives you this tagline. And so shall you ever be with me. Because where I am, I want you to be. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Yeah, the world has a lot to say, Father, about what's coming, what's going to happen on the political scene, the geopolitical, the economic, uh, the physical, uh, what's going to happen to the nations. I, I, I don't have a crystal ball, Lord. I know what your prophecy tells us, some things that are going to happen, but I know this. You're going to be with me till the end. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you, Lord. I thank you for the grace that's kept us. I thank you, Lord, for your sufficiency, your nearness, and your promises that are still yes and amen. Lord, I was thinking this morning, you know, I, I knew that our airplane hangar in here would be empty this morning comparatively. And we got, you know, 100 people trying to fill it up with voices. And I thought of how full heaven's going to be and how loud heaven's going to be and how people are going to be pushing to get closer and near and their voices are going to be in beautiful harmony unto you. So we're pilgrims today, but we shall not be tomorrow. And I just thank you for that promise that's ever before us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you, Lord.
And God's people together said, amen. Amen. Can someone tell the Lord this morning? Emmanuel. 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 Thank you, Lord. You may be seated this morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Kelly. Um, on behalf of my husband, John, and the rest of our awesome staff here at Christ Chapel, I want to say good morning and welcome. I know that the Sunday after Christmas is always a little bit different because we have people traveling out of town, um, but we may have some visitors here to, with us today, and if you are a first-time visitor with us, <laughs> I just want to say good morning and welcome to you guys. We're so very glad that you have gotten to worship with your family and visit with us today. Um, if for some reason, if we missed you as you're coming in the doors, please uh, make sure that you stop by our greeting table on your way out in the foyer. We just have a gift that we'd like to put in your hands. We'd just like to know that you are here. So, so very glad that we all get to worship together today. Um, just a couple of quick announcements, and then I'm going to ask Brian to play a video. Um, you'll notice that on Sundays like this, we don't have our child care. Uh, we don't have our children's church. We're taking a little bit of a break. That will start again next Sunday. So no worries, Children's Church will resume next Sunday. Um, and in the coming Sundays, we'll actually have our Sunday school resume. We always take a little bit of break around the holidays. So our Sunday school uh, will start again on January the 10th. So at the 9 o'clock hour, our adult and children's Sunday school and youth uh, Sunday school is actually going to be starting back on January the 10th. Wednesday night discipleship is going to start the Wednesday night before that. So on January the 6th, we'll resume our Wednesday night ministries for our kids, our teenagers, um, our women's ministry and men's ministry. All that will resume on Wednesday, January the 6th. And um, I, once again, after, not last Sunday, I can't, with all the Christmas services, I'm trying to remember, when did we last play that video? I think it was last Sunday. But um, I'm going to ask Brian in just a second to um, go ahead and play that video for us introducing our sermon series that we are originally planning to have in January. We backed that up to February, and I asked John why he had decided to, and the reason is is that um, it's time for us to replace some of our equipment for the screens, so in an effort for that to be brighter and everybody to be able to see that and some high-def cameras, we're going to um, push that series back until February, so um, that way everybody will be able to see it properly. But Brian, if you'll just go ahead and play that promo video. I'm concerned that people today don't know who God is. They do not know God because they've rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned. Do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I'm a Christian. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, people say, like, when did you lose your faith? I'm like, it started 15 minutes after I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Immediately encountered stuff in Scripture that I was like, that makes no sense to me. It's a generation of people who were not taught Scripture, and so they were pretty quick to throw it out. Christ died for our sins. How does that work exactly? Like, by what cosmic mechanism does the death of Jesus take care of your personal sins. Jesus was volunteering to drink the cup of God's wrath. That turns God into some kind of like divine child abuser. Does God really love me or has he simply been paid off? The Bible is so helpful to us if we just read it, you know. 
We're going to read things that offend our sensibilities. Did God kill Jesus? Yes. I don't think God killed Jesus. You cannot read the Gospels and think that. And how could that ever be good news? And this is the dilemma of the American pulpit. We've got a God of wrath versus a God of love. And I was watching a lot of my friends reject the Christianity they grew up with. If there is any other way to get around a fiery, eternal pit, why would we not be open to that idea? This creates a basis for what I'd call a natural religion and a universal religion. Like, why would you want to worship a God if you could imagine a better God? We are saved from God himself. That's not the God I worship. That's not the God of the Bible. When I survey the wondrous cross. This is the doctrine of Christianity. This is the doctrine that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Did Jesus go to the cross unwillingly? No. Thank you so much, guys, uh, for playing that for us. And um, I'm very excited about watching this series um, just as challenging us. And I think there are so many things that we hear now today that sound right until we line them up with the Word of God. And um, we just need to challenge ourselves, um, you know, to really dive deep into the Word and expose those things in our own hearts that are untrue. And um, wrong beliefs that we have. So someone can sound very convincing and, um, and not be speaking the truth. And so we need to line ourselves up with the truth of God's word, the absolute truth, even when it offends us. So I hope you guys will join us for that. Um, we are going to have a, a continued time of worship now as we give our tithes and offerings while Tom plays the piano for us. So I just want you to take a moment um, to worship with your family. Um, as you prepare for your giving, and we've got our baskets up here, and then after that, Pastor John will come and preach. Church family, if the Lord allows, in our series in February, we're going to be uh, not just watching part of a documentary each Sunday. 
but then we'll be having preaching as well as roundtable discussion. And the subject matter is going to be simply the crucified Savior. You may not be completely aware of this because you're in a Bible-believing, Bible-preached church. But much of the Western Christian church is not just diluted, but polluted and diminishing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There is an, uh, an opposition to and an abhorrence of the idea of penal substitution where Christ suffered for our sins, being bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace being upon him. The idea that uh, you heard uh, this one theologian, well, theologian loosely, speak of God being a, 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 a divine child abuser and mocking it to where you can have a gospel that mentions the name of Jesus, but it's not the biblical Jesus. It's not the preexistent Jesus. It's not the uh, born of a virgin Jesus, the sinless Jesus who died in our substitution. And my concern for you in the days to come with if Jesus tarries, what's going to happen in our nation, regardless of who is installed as president. There'll be a continued push uh, that will make it mandatory for you to stand and articulate the reason for your faith. How can we earnestly contend for a faith that we cannot explain? So we must be able to clearly articulate to others uh, our beliefs, what it's based upon, and unmovable. This last-day diluted gospel appeals to man's reasoning faculties and not to his spirit. It brings God down and elevates man. And so I'm looking forward to this series. It is going to be eye-opening. And I'm asking you now to make room, make a commitment to be here for all of them. Open Bible, open heart, and a notebook. And by the time this is done, you will be able to give every man an answer for the hope that's within you. All right, stand with me. Ruth chapter 3, as we are trying to close out Ruth. Now i got some more time. You know, I'd love to fit it neatly at the end of the year. That was the plan. But backing up February, we might have a Ruth 11 and a summary, and you never know. I trust that this series has been enlightening to you, Ruth being one of the older books in the Old Testament Uh, One of the most beautiful literary works of prose written and from any source. And the story of which is not just one of beauty and kindness and romance, but it's a type and shadow. And I want everyone to focus right here with me. Uh, You need to understand this about types and shadows. The Old Testament points to Jesus. Old Testament Uh, has types and shadows. If I were to cast a shadow, it would not be a perfect representation of me, but the shadow, you can recognize me from it. So when you see a type in the Old Testament, uh, they're not perfect types like the scapegoat that was driven in the wilderness. Well, Christ is not a goat, and the goat was not uh, resurrected. But you can see him in the story of the scapegoat by taking our sins outside the camp into the wilderness away from the sight of God, you see. So in Ruth, we see the story of not just Boaz and Ruth, but Christ bringing back a backslid Israelite and bringing in a pagan Ruth. 
a Naomi and a Ruth. And that's all of us. There's just the, the Jew and the Gentile. That's the only two people. So now in our story, I know we missed a couple of weeks with Christmas and such, but we are at the place where Ruth has recognized Boaz. Boaz has recognized Ruth. There's a little chemistry there. There's the wooing that Christ does for us. And there's the providing uh, different things like the invitation to be near, to dip her bread into his oil and spices. And he's sending her home with extra food. He's telling the reapers, drop handfuls on purpose uh, for her. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. If you missed it, I encourage you to go backwards uh, and go look at our uh, online services and catch up. Ruth chapter 3, if you're there, say amen. Good portion of scripture, short sermon, it'll balance out. All right. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it might be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens you were? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put raiment on. One translation said, Your best clothes upon you, and get down to the floor. But make not yourself known unto the man until he's done eating and drinking. And that shall be when he lieth down that you shall mark the place where he shall lie. And you shall go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said unto her, All that you say unto me, I will do. And she went down to the floor and did according to all her mother-in-law had told her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. Here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Well, first of all, Christ is the Savior, never sleeps. And he's surely not afraid. Okay, so it's, they're not perfect types, but they're unmistakable types. All right. Verse 9. And he said, who, who is it? Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your handmaid. Spread therefore your skirt over your handmaid, for you are a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for you've shown me more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as you followed not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, look at this. Fear not. I will do for you all that's required. Did that just resonate in your heart? Fear not. I will do for you all that is required. For all the city of my people know you're a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit there is one nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of the kinsman, well, he can be the kinsman. But if not, then I will be the part of a kinsman to thee. And as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. She lay at his feet until morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And he also said, Bring the veil that you are wearing and hold it. And when she held it, he poured six measures of barley. He loved giving out barley, didn't he? Just poured, poured in anything. And laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who are you, my daughter? And she told her all that Boaz had done for her. And she said, These six measures of barley he gave me. For he said, Go not empty unto your mother-in-law. And then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will fall, until you know the end of the thing. For this man, 
will not rest until he has finished this thing this day. Would you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Father, I just uh, present myself before you, uh, willing and unprofitable servant at best, you know. But I know that you can anoint me and you can uh, overcome um, an empty building. You can overcome an empty heart. You can overcome the discouragement that some have brought in with them today. You can overcome all things and you can let us see wondrous things out of your word. That anointing can do that. And that's to what I appeal. Make my lips, Lord, like the pen of a ready writer. Let me preach with such a clarity and an unction that people would leave today and could say with integrity, today I heard the voice of God for my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Three things, three headings, if you can believe it, only three from preacher here. Uh, the main points, I want to talk to you about Ruth's preparation, her faith, and her trust. Ruth's preparation, her faith, and her trust. I've got a pastor buddy here with me today, and I've got other preachers in the building and teachers, and I'm, I bet I'm going to preach and teach this in a way that you might not have heard. You've probably thought of it. Maybe you've preached it, but I, I have not and I just believe the Lord's opened uh, something up to me and uh, humbled at the idea of that. And I just present it to you for your edification. There is much that can be said, has been said. And if you open up a Bible program or your commentaries, it'll talk to you about don't come before the Lord a certain way. We're to wash ourselves from the filthiness of this world, the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. See, God will wash our sins away. He'll wash the, the penalty away, but we have to clean the vessel. Wash yourself. You don't just come before the Lord any uh, way. You don't stay out all night the night before partying and come before his presence and lift those same hands that you lifted in the club unto him. We, much was said about wash yourself. Make sure that your, your mind is washed and your soul is washed. Uh, so that your heart is ready to come before him. She was telling him, don't just go before Boaz any old kind of way. Make sure that you're clean. And ministers and preachers will say to walk closely with the Lord and to encounter him, you should cleanse yourself from, all, from unrighteousness through repentance and, and through uh, self-denial. And this is true. In this day, ceremonial washings and washings of clothes usually preceded special events. But more than likely, Ruth was told by Naomi something that you'll find in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. It presents the idea of her showing him her desire to be his, the way she presented herself. And there's a lot of beauty and truth there, but just stay with me and we're going to come back to the beginning. And Naomi said, anoint yourself. Oils in this day and age and in this geographical location were to protect and heal their bodies and give a pleasant fragrance. Um, they did not have available the showers and such that we have. There were, of course, ways to clean, but in dusty roads and dusty villages, uh, there was perpetually dirt and odor and things. And she said, not only cleanse, cleanse yourself, 
But prepare yourself to where you are a fragrance unto him that's pleasant. And we are to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and be a, a, a fragrance of Christ to God the Father. And so, again, as I've, I've heard this passage over and over, it's always told us what to do before we come before the Lord. And it's not that it's wrong. But I'll get to it in a moment. Then she changed her clothes. Don't go before him with clothes of a widow. You got to let go of yesterday before you can embrace tomorrow. We've all heard it. Don't go before him with common clothes. Now, I'm just going to submit this to you who are younger. Uh, you can take it for what it's worth. Uh, I believe this is part of the idea where in my generation, people dressed up for church. They said, I don't want to come before you less dressed than I do for my job. It was an, it's an idea, an act of worship. Now, is God more concerned with the in, inside than the outside? Absolutely. It's not even close. But how you prepare is an expression of your expectation. Let me give you an example. Y'all just staring at me like, where is he going with this? I'll tell you where I'm going. Guy asked the girl out. She says, no. She says, no. She says, no. She said, okay, I'll go with you. You'll stop asking me out. Deal. And so he's, he's slick Willie, man. He's bathed, shaved, groomed, sports clip. He got on a little cologne. He's not usually a cologne guy. His shoes are clean. New laces, new shoes. Everything's new. He comes to the door, and she's in old overalls and a flannel shirt. How she prepared herself, communicated to him how she viewed the evening. Is there not a part of that that's missing in the church today? I'm not telling you to go buy a dress and wear a suit. Isn't, isn't something missing where we come to God's house like we would come to a ball game? I submit to you that there ought to be an idea about us. It doesn't have to be extravagant, TBN-ish, you know. It doesn't have to look like that. But I will not come flippantly. I will not come just, eh. Kelly, you got to get them babies stop. It's like I'm a squirrel, squirrel. I hear the, yeah. My girl's got that paper. <laughs> um, and I forgot what I was saying, so. How we prepare ourselves, um, there's, there's something to be said for that. One of the reasons that we don't receive on Sundays is we didn't come prepared to receive. We didn't expect. We've not prepared the heart. We've not prepared the mind, the body, the soul. And I think much of what the Lord withholds is based on the preparation made. Come to church washed. Come to church anointed and with new clothes. I'm not, it's not, you know, if, if he's delivered you from something, don't look like that. That change. And so Naomi's giving Ruth wonderful advice and it's applicable for us today, but it's not the shadow. It's not the type. Much has been said and taught throughout the years concerning this passage, presenting it as an example of how we should prepare ourselves in our approach to the Lord. Yes. Notwithstanding, 
the importance of these truths are after we come to Christ. She has not become Boaz's yet. So once I'm a Christian, I'm to wash myself. And once I'm a Christian, I am to anoint myself. And once I'm a Christian, I am to put on new clothes and I'm supposed to walk in purity and, and beauty. But this is a story about a woman and I think, and I, 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 I humbly submit this to you, I think it's one of the more perfect types of their efforts to do, to, to make it as good as possible, to present your best, yourself in the best possible light but in the end, Ruth could not do for herself what only Boaz could do. It didn't matter how clean she washed. It didn't matter how anointed she was. And it didn't matter how pretty her dress was. She could not change her name. And our best efforts fall flat unless Boaz takes our hand. And some of us approached the Lord, some of us ran from him. But only he could change the name. Only he could rescue. Only he could redeem. Only he could marry. Only he could take her away. Only he could change her from being a Moabitess to an Israelite by taking her name. Did you know you have a new name? Not just your, you know, the song, your name, there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Yeah, but it's not the one you have here. There's a special name for you. Kelly brought this out to me in her Bible study one day and I was like, oh, that's good. And you know, a lot of times when she does that, I'll preach and say, I was thinking the other day and I'll tell you the things that she shared. It talked about uh, David and Bathsheba and Solomon was born unto them. And it says, I, go, go look it up. It said, and the Lord called him Jedediah, for he loved him. As we bring this series about Ruth to a close, I want you to see that it, it wasn't how you came to church that day. It wasn't who your grandmother was. It wasn't how you looked. And it wasn't what other people thought or said or any of your maneuverings. You were chosen. You were chosen. And in this sanctuary, there were the people that did all this that tried to come to God and he stepped over their efforts. And there are people that did nothing that stunk of last night's sin and rebellion and he rescued them anyway. Isn't that wonderful? Number two, Ruth's faith. In Ruth 3, 6 through 9 and 11, it says she went down to the floor. Oh, to the floor. There is a humility that is a precursor to salvation. Remember the woman with the alabaster box? The Pharisee met Jesus at the door and she met him at the floor. Jesus even spoke about her redemption, her salvation, her pardon, if you will. He said, uh, her sins, which are many, are forgiven her. There's a humility of heart that takes place in repentance 
and regeneration. That, and I don't mean a beaten up, I'm worthless, I'm worthless, I'm worthless. There is that in our flesh, which means there's nothing I can do to be accepted. But once you're accepted, he never uses the word worthless again. He's my glory and the... What does that mean? Look at me. John, you're not good because of what you did. You're good because of what I did. You're not special because what you did. You're special because what I did for you. But there was a humility for her is she did not come before him with an arrogance or a casualness. Now, you can use this again, good instruction for how we should come before the Lord after salvation. But this is a mirror of how she come before. Her faith made the connection between the kinsman and God himself. Don't you find it funny that a pagan is kneeling before a man? Not an idol, not a bronze calf or a golden snake or anything, but a man. The Bible said in Ruth, Boaz said this concerning Ruth. He said, under whose wings you are learning to trust. She was coming into faith and she understood by Naomi what a kinsman did. And she humbled herself and accepted that lowly position so that she could receive grace from him. Her faith recognized God's sovereignty in leading her unto him. You remember? She just happened upon a field that belonged to Boaz. Do you remember that? She just happened. I just happened to be born into a preacher's home. Just happened. I used to tease my sister-in-law. I said, you just happened. Your sister just happened to marry a preacher. You just happened to have had that godly grandmother or grandfather that no matter how you lived, there was a beacon that spun around in your life and constantly remind you where God was and where home was. I think that humility comes to play when you realize that God was wooing you. I love to say that before I got saved, I was being saved. He was bringing me in, reminding me of who I was. Her faith, watch this, was exclusive. Although other men were eligible, and Boaz himself said this, younger men, more attractive men her age. What does that say to us? It says, watch how this fits what we're talking about with the gospel. She did not make a choice of redemption based on carnal appetites. She chose the one that she felt God had led her to. She saw that connection. And her faith was exclusive. Now, this is not a noble illustration, but it's very accurate. Before I was a Christian, when I went, well, I was a, I was a Christian. I was born again when I was a little boy at nine. I know I was. I know my spirit was regenerated. I even thought I was going to be a preacher. And when my daddy died, that, that was it for me. I just turned off, turned out, turned away. And 13 years, just as hard and far as I could go. Um, c- 
may I share something with you I don't share often? And I'm not looking for sympathy. I just want you to get the clear picture because I'm the richest man I know. Don't feel sorry for me. And that's the truth. I can look you in the eye. I don't know anybody I would swap my life with. But for... Oh, many years, like 10 or so. I don't have any good memories. I don't have it. Until I started drinking. And there was a self-medication there that lowered inhibition, and I laughed. I just, I was a funny drunk. I, I wasn't the guy that wanted to fight a fight when you can laugh, you know. I was a fun, just laugh and uh, did all of this, and you know, when I went to college, and there was fraternities there, and there was one fraternity at Mercer at that time, uh, it's called SAE, and I'm not advertising for it, I de-brothered as soon as I got saved, that's a whole new story, another story for another time, uh, they didn't understand why I had to de-brother, I said, because you you're stronger in your devil than I am in my new Jesus, I got to get out of here, I got to get, so I, I wanted to be part of of this fraternity, and I was learning uh, the ropes my freshman year that you had a thing called bid week, and you went to all the houses, and then you went back to the ones that you wanted a bid from. And they knew that you wanted a bid from them by coming when you came back that second time. And I had friends of mine, and I don't remember if there were seven or eight fraternities, they had seven or eight bids. And there was one fraternity there at that time, Sigma Nu, we called it blanket bids. If there were 150 freshmen boys, the 150 bids went out. It's just, we'll take you 18 to 80, blind, crippled, or crazy. It don't matter. Just come on, everybody, everybody in. And I went suicide. That's what they called it. I went to one fraternity. And if I didn't get a bid, I don't. I don't participate in Greek life for the next four years. That's what Naomi did. She said, I have all these guys. And Boaz had to tell the guys not to mess with her. She was beautiful. She had all these carnal avenues she could have took. A broad way that leads to destruction. And she shows the narrow way to this older man because she felt that God had told her to do that. And she went suicide. She said, if you don't redeem me, then I'm not going to be redeemed. Isn't that wonderful? That's the exclusive nature of Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's not Jesus and Clarence. And whichever one takes me. It's not Jesus and the church. It's not Jesus and the dead saints praying for us. It's not Jesus and the beads. It's not Jesus and the ten speeds. It's not all the religions or the works. It's I'm going to kneel. Watch. I'm going to kneel before him and see if he will give me grace. If he will accept me. Isn't the type getting clearer and clearer this morning? Isn't that beautiful? Her faith was vocal. I'm sorry. Her faith was in his person, his position, his power, and his willingness to redeem her. Her faith was vocal. She said, spread your skirt over your handmaid. Everyone in this room that's born again from heaven, you came to a place where you asked him to save you 
forgive me. Restore me. Forgive me. I remember like yesterday when I came back home to the Lord in my 20s. I went to the altar. I don't know if the guy gave an altar call. I was there like a half hour. I'm serious. I cried rivers of regret. Forgive me. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And the shame, and it was just billows of grace that washed over me. But I wasn't a, a secret Christian. I figured if I was man enough to walk away from him, I ought to be man enough to come to him. And I lifted my voice and I called out to him to save me, rescue me. And she called out to her kinsman. And she said, spread your skirt over your handmaid, which means cover me. Do you notice the connection between this and what she had been taught by Boaz? said, you are starting to find trust under the wings of God and you are finding shelter there. And she connected him with God's provision and she was saying, do for me what only God can do. Cover me. Cover me. Her faith was not just vocal. It was sufficient and rewarded. And he said, fear not for I will do all that is required. That's it. That's it. So no probationary period. No. Whosoever calleth on the kinsman is saved. And you know what he says to us today? Fear not. Because I'm not going to rest until this is finished. Well, from the cross, he said it's finished, but it hasn't all played out yet. It's still being finished. Did you know that he that began a good work in you is going to perform it until Jesus Christ? He said, don't be afraid. I don't know who this is for this morning, and it's not in my notes, but listen to me. But what of my failures? Fear not, for I will not rest till I finish that which is required to, to redeem you, to bring you home. Well, well, what, what of my ups and downs? Fear not, for I will not rest until I finish what is required to bring you unto myself. But what of my heritage? What of my uh, double-mindedness? What of my fear not? Your salvation at this point, now that you've called upon me, is not contingent upon anything that you do. It is contingent upon what I did for you. And when he redeemed her, he redeemed all of her. Her past, her present, and her future. He said all that's required. All that's required. He emptied himself, our, our, our kinsman, taking upon himself the form of a servant, the lamb who takes away the sin of my world. He became sin for us, taking our place. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, taking it out of the way by nailing it to his cross, resulting in the forgiveness of our sins, all that was required. He was, his wounds were for my transgressions. His bruises were for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by his stripes and scars, he bore for me that which secured my healing. He did all that was required. And now we are reconciled to God. Now we are sons. Now we, are, we house His Holy Spirit. And now, in heaven today, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And now we await the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, because that which He promised, He did. 
when he cried from the cross, naked and beaten beyond recognition, and they pushed those thorns in his head, not on his head, in his head, symbolizing the curse of the world, because cursed is the ground from then stay forth, Adam, and all it's going to bring is thorn and thistles. You're going to have to work the ground. And he took the curse of the earth, and he lifted it off the people. And he cried out from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became sin for me and God turned his back on him and the sky grew dark. He turned his back on him so he could turn his face toward me. The world went dark on him so that I could see the light of life. Him, he said, I'm going to do all that's required. Watch what do I need to do? You just wait here till morning. You just wait here till morning. Can I help? Mm -mm. No. I'm going to do it. The reason we have worship leaders in churches trying to get people going is because there ain't nothing in there to get out. When I come in realizing what he's done for me and you sing about Savior, Redeemer, Lamb, Protector, Provider, my hands go up, the tears go down, and I say, that's who you are. That's who you are to me. Brooke, if you would come up, please. And finally, her trust. Ruth's trust. And she laid at his feet until morning. She laid at his feet until morning. This is where we are now. He's already done the work. Or this is kind of like, you can say this, we're waiting until it shows up. See, he had to go into town. We'll do that in Ruth 4, maybe next week if the Lord allows. Uh, make the agreement, purchase, and come back. Beloved, now we're the sons of God, but the world doesn't think we're the sons of God. Now we're saved, but the world doesn't acknowledge that we're saved. Now we have eternal life, but we can't prove that we have eternal life. Now heaven is our home, but we can't prove heaven. And I think that's a word for us today. Just wait till morning. Wait till the morning where the sons of God are revealed and God's glory is shown, not just on you, but in you. You're going to radiate the glory of Jesus Christ in heaven at home. Let me read these quickly to you. Listen closely. She gave him no suggestions. She gave him no advice and no instructions. He said, I'm going to do what's required. And she was quiet. She offered no help. No money, no possessions, or no assistance. She did not seek help from others. She did not look for counsel, intervention, or the prayer of other people. She did not question him. She simply took him at his word. Fear not, I will do all that's required to redeem you. And in the morning, he said, take the veil off your face.
Come here. I know who you are. And he filled it full of temporary tokens of her future. That's where we are today. There's blessings. There's blessings. There's the Lord moving. There's the Lord healing. There's the Lord providing. There's the Lord protecting. But the wedding hadn't happened yet. But you and I are at peace because we know that he's not going to rest until he finishes. She went home. Naomi said, who is it? Who you think it is, Naomi? Who else lives with you? Anybody else ever read the Bible that way? Uh, ain't nobody else coming to see you, Mara, until you get straightened out. You know, uh, it's, 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 it's Ruth. And Boaz said to bring this into you. She went home with his promise and a veil full of blessings so that she would not live empty. The Lord doesn't want us to live empty. Notice then what Naomi said to Ruth. Sit still, my daughter. She just left from being still. And now Naomi's encouraging her. He says, sit still until you know how this plays out, how the matter will fall. For this man will not rest until he has finished this thing today. Well, the day today, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And those preachers told you wrong when they said that Jesus stands praying for us. Well, as a man, Jesus prayed to the Father, but he was also God. God didn't, doesn't pray to God today. Intercession means he stands in the presence of the Father with the evidence of our acceptance. He intercedes. He stands in the presence of God with the evidence of our forgiveness and acceptance. So, bear with me just a minute more. In the earthly realm, the high priest once a year would come into the Holy of Holies in the earthly tabernacle and put the blood of a, a spotless, perfect. And when I say perfect, you need to understand not one blemish, not one bump on its body, not one off-colored hair, flawless. And he would put that blood on the mercy seat and he would back back out and that would postpone judgment for one year. There was never forgiveness. It just postponed the judge, just postponed it until the lamb came. The lamb. And when he died for our sins and he gave up the ghost, the veil in the temple of God was rent from top to bottom and there was access to God. And on the third day when he was resurrected, he took his blood into the heavenly tabernacle and he put it on the Holy of Holies. And today, today while I talk to you, the evidence of my acceptance and the engagement to his bride is in the courtroom of God. You're betrothed. And I know I've said it, but can I just simplify and summarize this for you? He's not going to rest until he finishes this thing. He didn't go to all of that to let you slip through his fingers. Grace, grace, God's grace. 
Would you stand with me this morning? I want to read two portions of Scripture, and then I'm going to ask Wade to close us in prayer. Are you listening? Is everybody with me? Hebrews 1. Let this go into your spirit, man. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, the Son, Christ, who being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 10. Jesus said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And he taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which could never take away sins. But this man, our Boaz, our kinsman, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. I've got news for you. It is morning. He has finished this thing. The purchase is completed and you are redeemed. You are redeemed. How do you know that? Because once he got done, he rested. That's it. Grace, grace, God's grace. Can you play that? Do you know that song? run through my head it says that there was another redeemer he had to go check with the other redeemer and I couldn't help but thinking the author of Hebrews had to be thinking that when he wrote these words that what the law was weak in being able to do the other redeemer couldn't do it it's too weak he said but on the other hand we have this hope that allows us to draw near to God amen and Jesus thank you Man, how our hearts are lifted with joy, how our hearts are lifted today and knowing that you are not weak in doing it. The other law was weak. The other Redeemer was weak. The other one could not do it. But you were not weak. Oh, you were complete. God, and our joy can be fulfilled today. It can be full today in knowing that you have completed what was required for our redemption. 
and that you have rested in knowing that it is fulfilled. And our joy is made complete today because of you. We thank you today. Lord, our hearts are lifted. God, let us go from this place lifted and rejoiced in your great redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We love you. Be blessed. Go in the Lord today.